0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them every month at the Canal Café Theatre. This story is told by Simon Farr in September 2009. Just over 20 years ago, a woman phoned into to the BBC and said there was a hurricane on the way. Michael Fish became famous for telling her and the public that he could assure us there wasn't. I was living then where I'd always lived, in the New Forest near Bewley. I'd lost a job in Knightsbridge in the middle of the summer, a job I had zero application for in PR. I still don't know why I applied for or got it, but it only lasted four months. They lost a major contract, so last in, first out. It had been my first real change of place and routine since the divorce and separation from two children I'd adored. Before the PR job, I'd worked for the Electricity Board in research for ten years. I was involved in a wave power project, attempting to reproduce a set of figures the Japanese had claimed for a model they devised. But London was where I'd always wanted to be. I guess coming from a family of five sisters and two brothers, I feel at home when surrounded but left alone. So through the summer, I was out of work, living on an overdraft and not really paying any attention to the inertia of my frail existence. Country life has one thing going for it. If you're out of work and adrift in a stupor of pointlessness, you're never alone. (laughs) Almost everyone else who lives there is, whether they work or not. Ambition is as rare as barbed wire speedos. (laughs) It's probably a thing which fits on a tractor. Well, I had a compadre in idleness, and as Dr Johnson tells us, if ye be idle, be ye not solitary, and if ye be solitary, be ye not idle. My associate had also lost his job. He'd been the Saudi oil minister, Sheikh Yamanis, private pilot. Richard's house was bigger than mine, He had three cars and plenty of toys, and there was a river at the bottom of his garden. Dick, as he was obviously called, had means, and therefore options, a very attractive element to most, and at that time I mistook that element for charisma. (laughs) I would drive over to Dick's most mornings through a rich, green, sunlit umbrella of trees and empty roads. Cattle and ponies at the verges with heavy-lidded eyes showed no interest in me. What we did mostly was kind of tidy up. We mended a (laughs) fence post or two, maybe mow a lawn. But really, all we were doing was delaying the harvest of the day. Firstly, we would check the previous day's gathering that had been gently and precisely arrayed for drying near the Aga. The next job would be to test the results. For this, we needed five cigarette papers and a wedge of cardboard. (laughs) The result was always satisfactory. But to be certain, it was usual to repeat the experiment. (laughs) By now, it would be lunchtime or mid-afternoon, and some other reprobates would appear. A few stewardesses, a couple of other pilots, and maybe Dick's girlfriend, Ellie. Ellie was a fiery ballerina who no longer danced and whose father was a 747 captain with Cassay Pacific. There was Adrian, the fair-haired, good-looking doctor. He and Dick had hung together in Saudi when Adrian was employed as a company medic on some obscene salary for applying a plaster or two once or twice a week. (laughs) The crowd would swell and head down to the river's edge where the day's harvest would begin. It's only necessary to pick the heads of the cannabis plants as the leaves have very little potency. (laughs) And this community activity held our interest for an hour or so before... Someone would suggest a ride into town for ice cream, a row down the river, or load up a rifle or two and have some fun shooting at things, either cans on a log or little things with fur on them which moved. I've never really been the type to arrange and plan my life. What enters and sticks is usually what is before me that I can touch and feel. A potent sensual instinct will tell me if it tastes good and will be swallowed or rejected. But soaked in that summer... ...and the Flying Brigade. The apparent contentment of these people infected me... ...and I bored into the idea of becoming a pilot myself. I had some equity in my house... ...and I figured to spend it on flying lessons would be very sensible. (laughs) What I really thought was that it would be a blast learning to fly... ...get a commercial licence... ...then I could island hop in the Caribbean, flying props... ...while I learned how to write and found a beautiful woman who would always surprise me, who only owned one dress and made elaborate jewellery, who wrote tearful poetry in French and caught her own lobsters and lived in a house (laughs) on the beach. (laughs) I had my post-divorce girlfriend at the time, Alison, who had recently finished a Prue-Leaf cookery course and was busy running out of friends to poison. (laughs) I told her of my plan to sell the house and learn to fly and she said it was a dumb idea as all the pilots she knew, including Dick, were idiots. It struck me that I was with possibly the only woman on the planet who would advise a man against the potential to earn a steady income. I then told my mother and stepfather, the old man was a Class A shouter, Never sell your assets! Never, ever sell your assets! He was a Victorian. He used to whack me with a walking stick but I didn't want a house as much as I wanted a life. Then I told a friend of Dick's one day as we rode down the river with a stewardess apiece. This This was Alistair. Alistair carried a bum bag, which he referred to as his box of pharmaceuticals. He tried just about any chemistry going. This guy was his own living experiment. After I announced my idea to Alistair, he told me about how he once hired a single prop Cessna and flew to LA from Texas. He had no instrument rating, which means you can only fly in daylight. But he was late and flew right into LAX main flight path to be screamed at by flight controllers and escorted down by two military jets. (laughs) He was only on acid that day. (laughs) On the day I signed the contract to complete the sale, the guy who had bought my house said he wasn't moving in until the day after and that I was welcome (laughs) to stay that last night. That last night in the last house I owned, was the night Michael Fish got it so wrong. I lay in bed listening to 90-mile-an-hour winds rip around and almost through the house as I no longer possessed. (laughs) The next day I drove over to Dick's house. It took an hour to negotiate the fallen trees and branches. The forest had been ripped apart. I said my goodbyes and took off that night holding an envelope from my six-year-old son. Inside was six cents and a scribbled note in pencil which said, Dear Dad, this is money for America. Even when you are dead, though that will be a long time yet, I will remember you. (laughs) The note and some clothes was all I took. Arriving in Florida, I left my bags in the room I was to stay and walked to the shoreline, sat at the water's edge and looking out over a vast ocean to Europe I let go with some mighty sobbing. That's it. For more stories, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London is produced by Joanna Yates. Audio production by Matt Hill at rethinkdaily.co.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga.